Greetings. You're listening to the Bonnie Boat Sailing Podcast. My name is Chris Smith. Whether you're a grizzled old salt, pining for the days of wire rope halyards, or a greenhorn, wondering what the hell a dolphin striker is, this is the podcast that seeks to fill the need for everybody's third most favorite pastime. That is, talking about sailing. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bonnie Boat Sailing Podcast. If you're just joining us, this first batch of episodes chronicles the refit and subsequent adventures of my wife Ryan and I aboard our 1967 Pearson Ariel Firefly. We spent two years on the hard fixing up the old girl and took her down the ICW from Virginia to the Florida Keys and back. Cheers! So when we left off, we were in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, which is on the Pasquotank River, and the Pasquotank River feeds into Albemarle Sound. Albemarle Sound has a lot of hype associated with it. Before we left, we heard a lot of stories about, you know, horror stories about Albemarle Sound. I remember one, some guy, guy at the marina came up to Ryan, I guess while I was working on something, was telling her how, you know, Albemarle Sound is what breaks people up and that his, his son-in-law was taking, taking a boat down and, and his wife got, got off the boat after, after a rough crossing of Albemarle Sound. Um, and I remember we, I think later on in the trip, we talked to some guy who was talking about eight-foot waves on Albemarle Sound. Uh, and, you know, that's all kind of nonsense. I mean, I think most of the sound is 10 feet deep. Um, and if there's eight-foot waves on it, you know, probably... It's because you went out on a day where it's blowing 35. <laughs> so there's a lot of hype surrounding on it. Uh, and we were uncomfortable with, with, you know, after our dad on the Chesapeake, we were a little bit gun shy uh, and we were certainly feeling some some trepidation. Uh, but we crossed it in light air and we had, we had no problems. But kind of two big things that I took away from kind of the, the run-up to, uh, you know, we were nervous and getting ready to cross the Albemarle. Um the first big takeaway is that cruising is a, is a team effort. You know, it's supposed to be fun. Um, part of the fun is the challenge, you know, but it doesn't have to be this macho thing, you know. So, so when you have some guy claiming that, oh, you know, he, he went out in Amaral Sound and there was eight-foot waves, well, you know, just pick a day with a good weather forecast. It's, it's not a big deal. You know, you also do have to learn to respect or I learned that to, to respect that nagging voice in, in the back of my head or, or the nagging voice in the back of Ryan's head. Um, and there's always going to be some push and pull between, you know, between di- people's different comfort levels. Um, and I never like to turn around. Uh, you know, I always was trying to get going, and, but sometimes it's just best to wait a day. Um, so, you know, in, in that respect, it's less about sailing in some ways and more about just you know, the relationship between you and your partner. Um, you know, the worst thing in the world is to be, you know, to be at a dock somewhere and some, have some guy yelling at his wife on the bow while he crashes the boat. You know, I think that's, that's one of the more pathetic things you see on, see on a sailboat. Um, and I know Ryan and I definitely forged a stronger bond throughout the trip. Um, we, we learned to work as a team and we, we overcame some challenges. And the second big takeaway is to ignore the hype. You know, the ICW is it's cruising with training wheels. You know, there's lots there are, and that's not to take away. There's lots of challenges. Um, it's definitely you know for us it was a crash course in boat handling, so to speak. 
you know, it's an exercise in discipline. You have to pay attention. It's easy to get, you know, you have to kind of follow the markers, stay in the channel. Um, you get, you know, it's great for, for anchoring technique. You're, you know, if, if you don't know how to anchor, if you're not comfortable anchoring, you're going to be doing it every night. Um, and being new to it all, it can be stressful, but it's, it's not dangerous. You know, the ICW, you know, help is always close at hand. The bottom is almost always sand and mud. So when you have guys, you know, telling horror stories, it's, it's just, it's a little bit silly. And I think, I think it gives people the wrong impression. So we left Elizabeth City. We crossed the Albemarle Sound in benign conditions. We entered the Alligator River. And we stayed at the Alligator River Marina, which is another combination uh, roadside gas station slash marina, which I guess seems to be a North Carolina thing. It's pretty reasonably priced, so we decided to treat yourself. At that point, we still hadn't figured out uh, cooking on the boat. We were still we were still kind of eating granola bars and peanuts for breakfast. So the Alligator River Marina has a little diner associated with it, and we were we had this just a big breakfast of like bacon and eggs, which was great, and uh, and coffee, which we hadn't been we hadn't even been making coffee I think at that point. Um, so the breakfast was great. The coffee, the coffee was awful. <laughs> I think, I think the water there has a lot of. Uh, I think it must be a salty well or something because the water tasted like saltwater coffee. But but that's okay. We we enjoyed our breakfast there. Um, from there we continued on down the Alligator River. Uh, so there's a the bridge. There's a opening bridge there, uh, and we entered the Alligator Pungo Canal. Despite having to motor all day, it was a warm day. It was beautiful out. Uh, it was the first day it didn't rain in a while, and uh, there was fighter jets doing flybys. I guess there's a there must be a big Air Force base nearby or Navy base perhaps, uh, and it was it was awesome. They must have flown by ten or fifteen times doing doing low passes, and they were it, it was something to watch. And you know they're moving so fast that you know the sound wave was behind them. It was it was cool. So we anchored that night uh, just outside the end of the canal up the Pungo River. Uh, it was a quiet little cove we had entirely to ourselves. Most of the boats, the big boats, anchor um, just outside the channel at when you pop out of the the canal there. And uh, you know, it, it's it's not an exposed anchorage, but there's a long fetch or reasonably long fetch to the south, as I recall. So, uh, but kind of up around the corner, we were all by ourselves. We were sitting pretty. So we left that Pungo River anchorage at dawn. We made our turn south at Bellhaven, crossed the Pamlico River to the Goose Creek Canal, and there we were playing tag with the barge Beaufort Bell, which was a big old barge pushing some kind of, some kind of, uh, or I should say, big old tug pushing some kind of barge. And that was our first kind of close encounter with, with a barge on a narrow part of the ICW, and it was it was pretty uneventful, but it's cool to watch the uh, those boats come by. So from Goose Creek Canal, that, that comes out into the Bay River, um, and then we poked our noses out into the News River to see what it looked like, and the News is another one of those sections that people people like to hype up. Um, but we went out, and it was fine, uh, so we kept pushing all the way to Oriental, and it was about, that day was about a 54-mile day, which is, which is a pretty good long run for us. Um, and then, of course, the wind built during the last two hours or so, right on the nose, up the News, uh, and it wasn't exactly rough, but we were motoring into the wind and the chop and lots of spray. And every couple of minutes, a big, you know, the bigger set would come by and the boat would essentially get stopped dead in our tracks as we were pounding into it. Um, so, you know, 
it is what it is. And in hindsight, we should have done, we should have thro- thrown up the mainsail and done some some motor sailing. But uh, and I'll get into that. We, we we did eventually figure that out. So we made it into Oriental. Uh, we slipped under the bridge there, which is a forty-five foot has forty-five foot clearance, which is another benefit of being small. Um, the main anchorage in Oriental is fairly exposed to the news. It can kind of you know you can get some some waves that kind of wrap around into the anchorage, and uh, and there's some big shrimp boats that come in out of in and out of there. But uh, with our I think our mast is thirty-five, thirty-six foot off the water, so we could we could sneak under the bridge. And I uh, go up the, I think it's Greens Creek, uh, I believe. So we settled the boat down, um, and we had, once again, had the, a nice quiet anchorage all to ourselves. So we had spent a day rowing back and forth between uh, Oriental and the boat, and then the next morning we snagged an opening at the, uh, at the Freetown Dock. Um, if you get onto towndock.net, I think it is, the town of Oriental has uh, harbor cams, and you can see when the the when there's a space at the Freetown dock so we got up and we were like we had our phones out and we were looking at the the harbor cam and we 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 made a made a run for it when we saw it was open <laughs> and then Ryan and I posted up at the bean firefly was right across the street life was good so oriental is a very sailor friendly town uh like i said they have free docks uh there's a marine store right right there in town that has some loaner bikes um so we uh, we borrowed the loaner bikes, rode out to Walmart uh, to do some provisioning. Um, Walmart had recently, when we were there anyway, recently run the local grocer out of town. So the the whole the old grocery store was boarded up with um, some less than friendly messages spray painted on it towards Walmart, <laughs> which was a little bit of local color there. Um, so while we were in Oriental, we were hanging out with the crew of Alara we had met originally in uh, Elizabeth City and who had actually locked through the Dismal Swamp with us as well. Uh, and we became great friends with them, still keep up with them today. But they turned us on to an app for the iPhone called Garmin Blue Charts, which is essentially a chart plotter app for an iPhone. Now, we were aware this sort of thing existed, but we were under the impression that it used, cell- we were under the impression it used cellular data, which we we had almost none of. But apparently... Uh, the GPS in your phone is independent of cellular data. So, you know, this was like, it, our minds were like blown. It, it really made our lives a lot easier. Um, so we started using that to uh, to navigate. Um, up to that point, we were navigating in, you know, fairly old school way. We, we were hand plotting courses on paper charts. Um, we were, you know, measuring off distance runs using just, you know, hours times speeds doing dead reckoning fixes um although most most of the the navigation was is line of sight um we did have a program on the laptop called c clear which is a is a chart plotting program we had a usb uh, gps dongle that you could plug into the computer and it, it gave it gave the program gps data which is a nifty little thing. I think they're like thirty bucks, and it's a it's it's a nice backup, even even if you have an, a normal chart plot, chart plotter. But the we didn't like to have the laptop in the cockpit, and the it's an older program. It's a little bit clunky. It's free, um, and I found it. We also messed around with Open Captain. Um, we found it a little easier to use than Open Captain, but it's still a little clunky. Um, so we could double tr- check ourselves if if we had to. Um, but in general, it was all on paper. So when we figured out we could use the the um, 
the Garmin blue charts on the iPhone, it just it just made everything that much easier. And we still had the uh, the paper charts on hand, but you know it was just an easy easy way to double check. Um, and the nice thing about that is it also has the active captain information just right right in the uh, on the chart, which made which made seeking out anchorages a little bit uh, a little bit less stressful. But in terms of our navigation um, equipment, we and we have a compass in the in the cockpit. We were using uh, the Skipper Bob Anchorage um, Anchorage Guide. We had the Waterway Guide. We had a chart book for we had charts of the Chesapeake, and we had a chart book for the ICW. Um, and I think we had the Explorer charts of the Bahamas, uh, a VHF handheld VHF, and a handheld GPS. Just an old you know GPS that displayed Latin long and uh, speed over ground, and that was it. And it and it worked fine. So we didn't have a depth sounder. We didn't have a uh, a big chart plotter at the helm. Uh, obviously, we had no radar, no AIS, uh, none of that stuff. You know, depth sounder in some ways would have been nice. Although I think we would have spent more time stressing out about how much water was under the boat as opposed to just paying attention to where we were. Um, and the Pearson aerial draws three eight, so we could get away with it. It wasn't terribly uh, necessary. And of all those things, I think AIS would be would be nice to have. Um, I think what actually, and I haven't got around to doing this, but what I would like to do is get like an iPad running either Blue Charts or uh, Navionics, which some people some people have recommended to us, um, and then have an AIS um, linked up with that as well. That would be nice. And then have it all in one place. And I and I, th- I do think the AIS would be would be a nice addition, just because. Commercial traffic, it, it, it sneaks up on you. It moves so much faster than you think. So it, it would be nice to have that um, like that cl- uh, closest point of approach information. Um, but what we had worked fine on the ICW, and it works fine for us now on the Chesapeake Bay. So uh, nothing wrong with keeping it simple. So we spent two days, two or three days in Oriental. Uh, we hung out with a bunch of sailors. We did some provisioning. Uh, I finally got around to installing some cabin lights, which was a major quality of life improvement so we could actually read after the sun went down. Uh, we drank good coffee at the Bean. We switched to good beer. Uh, we switched to rum. And then I remember we were rowing out through the anchorage singing sea chanties. Or at least I was singing sea chanties. So, further on, I'll talk to you next Friday. <laughs> That's it for this episode of The Bonnie Boat. Thanks for listening. I know time is my most scarce resource these days, so I appreciate you uh, choosing to spend your time listening here. One of the reasons I decided to throw my hat into the podcast ring is to get in touch with other like-minded sailing maniacs. To that end, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email me at thebonnieboat at gmail.com. You can find us online at thebonnieboat.wordpress.com. And remember... To be a sailor, you don't need a YouTube channel with 100,000 video subscribers. You don't need an Instagram account with pictures of beautiful people in their bathing suits. You certainly don't need a podcast. You don't even need a boat. You just need to go sailing. Until next time, this is Firefly standing by on Channel 16.